Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hello and welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson, thanks as always for hitting play. Now, today's episode features a returning guest of Vintage Rock Pod, a rock and roll hall of famer no less, which is good timing for this show. A man who is part of a band with sales of over 100 million worldwide, had the first CD to sell more than a million copies. They won four Grammy Awards, three Brit Awards, two MTV Video Awards. They performed at Live Aid, Wembley Stadium, headlined the Nelson Mandela birthday concert, which was broadcast to more than 600 million people worldwide and so much more as well. He's a founding member and ever-present of literally one of the biggest bands on the planet, John Ilsley from Dire Straits. As I said, he's a returning guest, so if you skip all the way back to episode two of Vintage Rock Pod, you can hear him tell me all about the incredible stories from the band's history. I mean, there's talk about the early days, the gruelling touring which led to the breakups of the band, how Sting ended up singing on Money for Nothing, and much more as well. It's all on episode two, so please do go back and check that out. But I reached out to John a couple of weeks ago because he's been an incredibly busy guy this last 12 months, and it's always great to chat with him, so there's talk about his autobiography, which Mark Knopfler was heavily involved with, uh, John's new album, there's a tour, and there's some interesting information as well about potential previously unreleased Dire Straits music seeing the light of day. And also on today's show, I chat to award-winning American comedian Joe Quazala because this year's nominations for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were announced this week and Joe is admittedly obsessed with the Rock Hall and even co-hosts a podcast called Who Cares About the Rock Hall? So he's here to give me the lowdown on this year's list of nominees and who he predicts will get admitted to the Hall. And I'll tell you now, his record is very good, so definitely pay attention. And of course, there's going to be the top five song list on the end of the show as well. And in honour of the Rock Hall nominations, it's for one of my favourite female artists of all time, 
to be revealed a little bit later on. A couple of quick messages before we fire into it. Now, Vintage Rock Pod is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's a fantastic network of shows all centred around music, all types of music, different genres, uh, different viewpoints. So please do go and check out the other fantastic shows on the roster. I found a lot of good podcasts myself on there personally. Hanging and Banging is a great one with former guest on the show, Carmina Peace, and his brother, former Black Sabbath and Dio drummer, Vinny, uh, with him as well. There's the Mistress Carrie podcast, the Hook Rocks, and of course, today's guest and his show, Who Cares About the Rock Hall. Also, if this is your first listen to Vintage Rock Pod, then... Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy it. But don't forget to hit subscribe or follow or whatever button your podcast player has so you don't miss any future episodes. They come out usually every Monday with big name guests on every show. We've had 14 Rock and Roll Hall of Famers on already, Grammy Award winners, multi-platinum selling artists galore, all with great rock and roll stories to tell from their history as well. So please do go back and check out the back catalogue of shows that Vintage Rock Pod has to offer. Now, on to today's episode then, and it's always great to chat with John. I put a little sneaky early video of our conversation up on YouTube, and Charles Dice commented that John seems to be the sort of bloke you would like to have a pint with. Indeed he is. I mean, John actually owns his own pub, so perhaps check that out and you may catch him behind the bar one night. Anyway, here we go. Let's hear from Dire Straits founding member and the only ever present member of the band, along with Mark Knopfler, of course, the wonderful John Ilsley. Yeah, I have been busy, actually. I was told by some soothsayer about two or three years ago that I was going to have a very busy time. And I said, really? And, <laughs> and uh, uh, I was just happening, thinking about taking a bit of time off, you know, after all these years. But uh, mm-hmm. the book idea came along and I, uh, I thought about it quite a lot because when you're doing something like this, you have to consider a lot of aspects of, you know, how you're going to deal with it, who you're going to mention who you're going to leave out what's the emphasis uh, and gradually the thing sort of took shape so and then i got really excited about it and, and actually loved doing it uh for all the, for all the right reasons i think oh, that's good that's good so yeah you mentioned the no. book my life in dire straits it came out last year um last november uh, it's a fantastic book i mean i've been flicking through some of the comments not just by um reviewers but by people on social media and everything and they're all fantastic um some things like you put many things into new perspective so enlightening i loved all the details and the stories you're able to recall it's vivid well written and absorbing you're a wonderful writer with a gracious and easy style i mean that must be very nice to listen to <laughs> Well, I, I have to come clean about that. I did have some help uh, putting it down. Um, you know, uh, somebody who I've known for a long time and we, we share um, a similar sense of humour. So I started writing it down longhand and I thought this is going to be um, <laughs> going to take quite a long time. And uh, uh, we chatted for quite a while. And, and I the reason why I asked him to help me put it down was because uh, he knew nothing about music okay and i thought that would be quite a good starting point which would mean he would have to engage with it like a like a punter in a way um like somebody coming at it fresh uh rather than some hack that had written 20 music biographies so we, we actually had an awful lot of fun and i discovered rather remarkably because I thought my memory was completely well my wife would say my memory is still pretty bad but I was quite surprised how much I actually remembered and uh, there's obviously a few things I didn't remember which I had to go and check but 
I just thought it was a tale worth telling. And I've, I've been really, really uh, uh, heartened by the fact that, you know, uh, we've had a good response to it. And because um, you never know with these things, it's always a bit risky. I know as, as soon as you put the thing, the word dire straits on something, people will sort of look up and take notice. I do appreciate that, but it's still got to stand up to scrutiny. And that's the most important thing, really. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier about the fact that you had to think about who to include and all that sort of thing. Did you speak with the other members of the band and the, the other people that were behind the scenes for Dire Straits just to make sure that you had all the stories correct and dates and times and all that sort of thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been quite an exercise because there was an awful <laughs> lot of people involved. Um, it's very much my interpretation, Paul, of, of events. But before I even started it, I I um I sat down with Mark and I said, you know, look, I've been offered this publishing deal uh, to write, you know, kind of write our story, if you like. And um, he went, oh, okay. Um, the first thing he said was, why would you want to bother to do that? <laughs> I said, well, somebody's got to do it and you're not going to do it. And um, so when I'd written it, I, I, I gave it to him and I said, this is, the, this is what I'm going to, uh, potentially put out uh, and can you just please read it so he did he read the whole thing and um, there was a couple of things that he said uh, which he thought were probably the wrong person's name or the wrong place or maybe the wrong sort of thinking about something so we we, we, we went through a little bit together and um, then he gave it his blessing which is very very important uh, him being sort of the, in the major protagonist in the situation and um then he said, you know, he'd, he'd write the forward. So that was, if you like, that gave it the, um, for me, it gave it the, uh, the the necessary credentials, if you like, to then say, right, here it is, here's, here it is for the public to take on. And um, I saw him the other night, actually, he said, um, he's had quite a few of his mates who've read it and really loved it. So that helped. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Did yeah. he wish he'd written the book fun, then? I mean. Huh? Did he wish he'd written the book instead of you now? No, I don't. No, 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 no. Good Lord, no, no, not at all, not at all. Um, you know, he's he's busy doing what he what he does best, which is you know slowly working on new songs and tunes and stuff. No, he's in good shape actually. We had a, we seen each other quite a bit over the holidays. Oh, that's good to see. Good to see. Yeah. And um, and speaking of that, when when the book did launch, you had a, a special launch night and you had some special guests, including Mark, along there with you, didn't you? And you put the pictures up on social media. Yeah, well, there was a, you know, it was, it was probably people thought it was a bit bonkers, but in fact, actually, it was at one of those particular times when people felt able to go out, and um, there were people there that I hadn't seen, for, uh, friends of mine hadn't seen for a couple of years, so I was pleasantly surprised we got quite a few people there, you know, um, uh, who, who came to just even just pop in for a drink and just say hi and meet other people that they knew, so it was quite the and and amazingly, as a consequence of that, nobody reported getting COVID. So <laughs> it was. I think we we got away with it. But yeah, but Hal turned up. Hal Hal Linders was just happened to be working in London. Guy was there, and um, a friend of mine, Roger Taylor from Queen, came by. It was nice. It was just a lovely sort of group of people who kind of all know each other, and you know, it's uh, it was a kind of a celebration, really, and more than anything else. Um, uh, you know, we actually did one at my pub down here in Hampshire, just a small one for the locals, and then played a bit of music, which was good fun. So, you know, I got a, I got a bit tired of it for a while because, I, as you probably realise, I was doing some points doing seven or eight interviews a day, and 
not just here, but in America as well. So that was quite, I got a bit, a bit sick of the sound of my own voice after a while. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I haven't done one for a while, so I'm feeling quite fresh today. <laughs> we timed it well. We timed it well. Um, so the book itself, My Life in Dire Straits, it's out on in different languages as well. I've seen different people posting that it's available in Italian and things like that. But it's also available in audiobook as well. And this is, intrigues me because this is my, my sphere of work. I work in audiobooks and audio and things like that. So to, to find out oh. that you voiced it yourself and, and Mark voiced the, the foreword himself as well is fantastic. Yeah. Well, they said there's not much point in us getting anybody else to do it because um, it only makes sense if you're going to read it. And I have to say, Paul, it was really hard. Yes. I mean, I, do you, I mean, do you do much of this? Do you do much of this? If you do, if you're used to it, you're probably okay with it. But I've, I, they said it'll take three days. Well, I managed to get through it in f- nearly five days. It was quite <laughs> difficult it's a, maintaining. It's a lot harder uh, than you think. Maintaining the flow. Yeah. I mean, I take it my hat off to. People like Stephen Fry who did the Harry Potter books, I mean, which I listened to in the car the other day because my daughter's quite keen on it. Harry did all that. I've no idea. Absolutely. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? It very much is. And even though you may have written it yourself, there's always little mistakes that need pickups recording afterwards and little bits like that that you don't think of. Yeah. Yes. It's interesting because it was edited about three or four times before I sat down and read it out loud. And as I was reading it out loud, I said to the producer, I said, we're going to have to change this. Is it possible to change this before the book comes out? And he said, just about. Because there were things that were still wrong. And actually, somebody found a mistake the other day and wrote to me, which is quite funny. So it doesn't matter how many times you edit something, you know, something slips through the net. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's your book. I mean, like we said before the interview started, you've been a busy boy. And, and the next uh, yeah. important bit of information is your eighth studio album titled Eight. It's out on the 11th of February. Um, the first yeah. song available for us to listen to, it's out there to stream and, and things like that. It's called Which Way Is Up. And it's a very rootsy, very cool sounding song. Which way is up? No one can agree. Keep asking myself, where's the sense of harmony? So is that what we can expect from the album then, John? Well, I'll leave that to the listeners to decide. I mean, it, there's a, quite a bit of variety on there. I always have a bit of reggae on there and there's a little bit of country stuff on there. I mean, all those different influences that have seeped into my world over the years. Um, so it's quite a personal album and um, some might say it's quite political, but I'll leave other people to decide that. Um, <laughs> it, yes, it's uh, it, it was doing it was quite different because, you know, we did it during the, the pandemic business and so we couldn't all sit in the same room and which is what i like to do you know record it all together so i had to do it in bits and pieces but i, I think it's once we got used to that it was fine and uh, actually i've just done four videos four songs uh that's been fun doing videos again then no it's, I mean, it's it's weird coming out of isolation isn't it and starting to sort of do semi-normal things again <laughs> um and everybody must be feeling this i mean i think psychologically it's been quite a challenge actually yeah for everybody but I've, i did enjoy making the record and i've used some new people um on it some brass players and some pedal steel player it's a friend of a friend of mine and so you know it's been it's been good been good i enjoyed it and i think it's come out pretty well actually there's, a, there's actually a lennon mccartney song on there as well which people might be quite intrigued about oh. anyway Interesting, interesting indeed. And I've looked on the shop as well that you can purchase. There's a special purple vinyl. There's there's a signed yeah. various things. There's bundles as well. So plenty of different options for people. 
Well, I'm, I'm using a different record company because I was with somebody for years and they weren't very proactive. And, and these two young guys have, have got some great people. They've got Wolf Alice on their books and OMD and people like that. And they really actively work with you. So, uh, you know, and they've got lots of energy. So I, I figured that that might, I needed a change. So um, we'll see how that goes. And then we're doing a little tour in um, at the end of April, I think it is, just after Easter, just a couple of weeks around the UK, just to, you know, have a chat with people and such like. Yeah. Indeed, that was, the, that was the next point I was going to get on to, the, the Life and Times of Dire Straits tour that you've got lined up, April, May. Um, what can we expect from that? You said a nice little chat. Is that going to be a, a fairly intimate sort of thing then? Well, it is. It's basically, what I, I did a few a few years back, just before lockdown, we were stopped actually halfway through a tour. But I sort of discovered that it's quite interesting just chatting. One of my managers, a friend, good friend of mine still, is, um, we chat for about 15, 20 minutes about how everything came together with the band. And then I get the band, you know, we get three, we just play acoustically actually, which is lovely. And breaking the songs down into this acoustic framework really, for me, it made the songs come alive again. And I obviously play some of my stuff as well, some new new things just to keep the variety in. But essentially it's, it's, it's just marking out the, um, you know, the, the band's progress. Because I think it's, I think most people seem to be quite interested in the, Early years, of course. I mean, everybody knows really about the Brothers in Arms stuff and on every street and the mm-hmm. tours. But those early years were, like any band, quite interesting uh, how how things happen and how things change and, and, and what uh, comes out of all that. Uh, those early moments when you realise that perhaps you have something on your hands which might do something rather than all the other bands you've been in, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, and Dire Straits certainly did something. Um, one last thing from me is it's a question from from one of my listeners who, who asked me to ask you this next time I spoke to you, so, so I'll put it out there. Uh, Zach Elmquist, he said, are there any unreleased Dire Straits songs that you know about that could one day see the light of day? Well, it's funny you should say that, actually. We are looking at, um, you know, pretty much all the material that is stored away in various places which i think uh, most people do when they get to this particular point because um yes it might be it, it is interesting to see I, I think that the record company's got some stashed away somewhere that is a possibility uh, but we i think we used i'd like to think we used the best stuff that we had <laughs> um, i mean there was always things that dropped off on the waste you know when we started making a record um there was always a few things that um didn't come up to the mark, if you like, uh, just either from a, a, you know, some things work and some things don't. It's yep. as simple as that. So when you sit down and you strum away on things and they either come alive or they don't come alive. And it's the same with my songs. I mean, I've got a few things stacked away that won't, probably will never see the light of day. But so I, I try to use the best stuff I've got, really. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Well, John, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you again. Uh, best of luck for, for the tour that comes up uh, and for the new album as well. And uh, uh, hopefully speak to you again in the future when you've got more new things on the go because you're a busy boy. Uh, well, I might calm down a bit this year. I fancy taking a bit of time <laughs> off and getting back with my paintbrushes as well, you know. Indeed, indeed. Fantastic. Thank you very much for speaking to me. Nice to talk to you, Paul. Okay, we'll speak again, no doubt. Bye for now. There you go, John Ilsley. If you're a fan of Dire Straits, then that book is a must-read or must-listen if you get the audiobook version. 
definitely check that one out. Along with uh, John's new solo album as well, it's called Eight. It was due for release this week, but it's been put back a couple of weeks. John posted this on his social media just a couple of days ago. Uh, Unfortunately, due to unforeseen manufacturing issues, the release of my album Eight has been delayed until the 4th of March 2022. For those of you who have pre-ordered, I appreciate your patience and my team and I apologise for the delay. It will be well worth the wait. And speaking of new albums, it was good to see my guest on episode 50, Ian Anderson from the brilliant Jethro Tull. Their new album, The Zealot Gene, officially went top 10 this week in the UK. It was the first week of release, so it was great to see it ending up at number 9 on the official UK album chart. If you're a fan of Jethro Tull, then definitely check out my interview with Ian. He's, a, he's an interesting fella indeed, and he details his incredible songwriting process and talks all about the new album and more on that episode. That's episode 50, as I said. Said. Right, on to guest number two on this week's episode then. And we're going over the Atlantic to Los Angeles to speak with award-winning comedian Joe Quazala. He's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame superfan. He hosts the podcast Who Cares About the Rock Hall with Kristen Studdard and uh, literally is the best person to chat to about the big news this week, which was, of course, the announcement of the 2022 nominees for the Rock Hall induction. The nominees... Now, I'm going to be releasing a special bonus episode later in the week where I dive into the Rock Hall with Joe more seriously, and I ask him the questions that we all want to know, like, why don't they just change the name of it to Popular Music Hall of Fame, and what's the point in the fan vote if they don't even guarantee induction, and we look at some of the controversies as well, that sort of thing, and I'll tell you what, his answers are fantastic. But for today's episode, we focus solely on this year's nominees. So here we go, here's my chat with Joe Quizala. Let's cut to the chase then. 2022 Rock Hall. Uh, Give us the list of who's been nominated. Right. So we've got in alphabetical order, Beck, Pat Benatar, Kate Bush, Devo, Duran Duran, Eminem, Eurythmics, Juice Priest, Fela Kuti, MC5, New York Dolls, Dolly Parton, Rage Against the Machine, Lionel Richie, Carly Simon, A Tribe Called Quest, and Dionne Warwick. There you go. That is an awful lot of people. That's the first thing that springs to my mind. Yeah, 17, which is uh, slightly more than they've had in years past, but, you know, it's been bigger. Okay. You know, there there were a few years in the recent past where it was 19, which is <laughs> wow. even more. So. Wow, indeed. Yeah, so from my point of view, uh, being British, the Rock Hall was, was kind of, it was in a haze. I'd heard about it. I didn't really know an awful uh-huh. lot about it. I mean, we tend to find out after it happened who'd, who'd been inducted, and it's, all oh, right, okay, that's cool. Um, so it's only really the last couple of years when I've started interviewing some of these guests, and I think three of the first four guests that I interviewed were all Rock Hall of Famers, and it kind of it mm-hmm. piqued my interest in it, so that's why I started looking into it. So yeah. I'm really intrigued about this whole process, and we're going to speak a bit further on a special bonus episode, but just for now, um, why... On this list of the 2022 nominations, why are there so many duplicates from last year's ballot? That's a good question, and I don't know that there is necessarily a, a good answer because typically when you look at a ballot, and what's exciting about the ballot reveal is you get a lot of new names. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at last year's ballot, you have only one artist who had been on the ballot previously. Okay. And you'd had a, you had a you know a, a good half dozen names that had been on ballots before but you had say like the New York Dolls who hadn't been nominated in 20 years. Yeah. Or you know you get Carol King or Tina Turner who hadn't been on a ballot for closer to 30 years. And so that's exciting to see this year though there are six names who were on the ballot <laughs> last year. Like, and so I don't know exactly what to chalk that up to other than it has to be the nominating committee is just committed to getting these 
artists <laughs> in. But you know, the the sad reality is that the edge is always in favor of the new names yep. that pop on the list. Absolutely. And some of these people have been nominated, what, five, six, uh, seven times, I think, on occasion. MC5, it's the sixth nomination. Rage Against the Machine, it's the fourth. Uh, Devo, Kate Bush, New York Dolls, Judas Priest, it's all number three for them. So, yeah, we've got people who have been on the ballot many times. So then looking at this this year's nomination list then, who do you think is an absolute shoo-in? Because the ones that I look at, and uh, from my uneducated guess, I'm looking and uh-huh. thinking the likes of Eminem will surely go in. Dolly Parton surely mm-hmm. go in. Lionel yes. Richie will probably go in. Um, right. And then You're it gets, on the right track Yeah, here. then you kind of start thinking, well, they might, they might, and, and it gets a bit wishy-washy then, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, like, for Eminem, that's in line with what we've seen a lot with The Rock Hall recently, mm-hmm. which is a newly eligible, super famous hip-hop star. Jay-Z was last year. Notorious B.I.G. was the year before that. Tupac in 2017. Yeah. Public Enemy in 2013. So, like, there's a there's a pattern, and if we are to believe this pattern will continue, which, you know, Eminem is one of the biggest pop superstars, let alone hip-hop superstars ever. I, I think he has a good shot. Uh, you know, he, he does well in all the categories, mm-hmm. if there are categories to believe in. <laughs> and then, like you said, Dolly Parton, you know, and Lionel Richie, and I would throw Carly Simon into the mix as well. When you see legends, yeah, regardless of their musical output, if you see names that are huge, ubiquitous pop cultural yeah. forces, you are always going to be in good shape if you bet on them. Absolutely. And so I, I would say, you know, those those three. And then I would to kind of round it out, because, you know, there's going to be at least five, I would say likely six. Um, I'm looking at Duran Duran, because mm-hmm. they're a they're a new name to the list as well. Okay. Uh, so they've got the edge in that regard. So I think they're looking good, and I'm curious about Beck, because he is, he's never been on ballot before. He's someone who has the critical acclaim, he has a commercial success, he's been at induction ceremonies before, he is maybe in line with an artist like, say, the Foo Fighters last year, who are comparatively to the rest of the ballot, a relatively newer act mm-hmm. and still very active. Doesn't seem like a legacy act at this point. Still seems relevant. Um, but he's up against stiff competition. The other name I would throw out there is Pat Benatar, yep. who's one that you know has been on the ballot once before. On my own podcast at the time was overconfident that she was going to get in and that she did not. So uh, I I wonder if the second time around she'll fare a little bit better. She's a huge snub, you know, one of the leading women in a rock world that does not have a lot of prominent women. Mm -hmm. So those are the names that stick out to me as likely. So that leaves me asking the question, what was the point in in some of these people that have been nominated three, four or five times? Because the likelihood is they're probably not going to get in this time, let's be honest, because we can't mm-hmm. snub Dolly. I mean, if you did snub the likes of Dolly Parton or Lionel Richie, that would cause a bigger stir than bringing them in. Yeah, I, yeah, I think p- potentially. I think people would be very upset, especially with Dolly. She's has, she has fans and followers who are, who are diehard and they will... They will kill. Um, they're not. They're not afraid to kill. So you got to be careful. You know, I just think the nominating committee is not super strategic, and I think they are just voting for the artists that they like, okay. and they're voting for the artists that they believe should be in. And I don't think they're really. I mean, you've got a collection of thirty people who all have their own agendas and thoughts and opinions, and this is the consensus. And I don't think a lot of them 
are thinking, or maybe they're not properly thinking of how these artists will fare on the ballot. They just would like to see them go in. You know, I think about this stuff probably a hundred times more than anybody in the nominating <laughs> committee does. So, you know, as you know, I, I, I can strategize this yep. stuff out and I, I can look at a ballot and, you know, generally any year I can get with confidence at least four out of five or six of who will be inducted. Yeah, I just I don't think there really is a ton of planning or thinking or strategizing on, on the behalf of the nominating committee. Interesting stuff. Now, the, the ballot's open until the end of April, I believe. And then when do we get to find that out right. who, got, who gets in, who finally gets into the hall? Likely early May. They, they don't announce the date this far in advance. Okay. But if we were to look at last year's schedule, I think it was early to mid-May. Now, thank you very much for joining us, Joe. And if you're intrigued about what Joe has to say about the rest of the hall and everything else that goes along with it, and some of the questions that have been given as well to post to him, then a little special bonus episode of Vintage Rock Pod is going to be coming out in a couple of days' time. So, Joe, thank you very much for, for joining me on Vintage Rock Pod. And uh, just one last thing. Are you going to be at the ceremony this year? Well, it's going to be in Los Angeles, which is where I live, so I won't even have to get on a plane. Uh, we'll just see if I can if I can get a ticket. That's the that's the real question. But you know, I you mean, could... you're not on the VIP list. <laughs> I don't know if the Rock Hall knows about me, and if they do, I don't know that they necessarily like me. But uh, we'll see. I haven't been on a VIP list in the past, but you know, maybe I can trick some people. Maybe I can pretend to be a roadie and loading stuff into the. Yeah, we'll make it happen. Joe, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much. A big thanks to Joe for joining me there. Now, please do check out the special episode of Vintage Rock Pod where we get into the nitty gritty of the rock hall. And I put to him some of your questions that you sent in. And as you can hear there, he certainly knows his stuff. As for the nominees this year, then, despite who I think will get in, and let's be honest, Dolly Parton, Eminem and Lionel Richie are pretty much nailed on, I'm thinking. The artist I'd love to see get in would be Judas Priest. I mean, how they're not in there already is baffling to me. And long, long overdue, in my opinion, is Kate Bush, for sure. I know she's been put up for nomination a few times, and I get that her commercial appeal wasn't that great in America. But I did chat with Joe Off-Air about Kate and the fact that she never really got the traction in the US that she deserved. Here in the UK, though, she is and was a a superstar. She was signed on the recommendation of Pink Floyd's David Gilmour, who backed Kate from a really, really young age. She was the first female artist to have a number one single that she'd written herself. It was the incredible Wuthering Heights song. It went straight to number one, and that was when she was just 19 years old. She's released 10 studio albums, all 10 going top 10 in the official album charts here in the UK. Two of them being number ones, Never Forever and Hounds of Love. Plus her compilation, The uh, Whole Story, was a number one album too. And when you look at her songwriting, it's extraordinary. The topics she chooses are incredible. There's none of your kind of I love yous and why did you leave me, that sort of type of thing. No, she's really in-depth and and creative and, and incredible for me anyway. She may not be strictly classic rock as such, but her influence is boundless as well. I mean, it's going to take me too long to mention everyone that cites her as an influence. So that's why I'm going to choose Kate Bush for my top five songs this week. Now, remember, this is my favorite top five songs of this artist. It's not a critic's choice. It's a personal choice. It's very subjective. And this is what I want to go with. So there you go. Here's my top five songs of Kate Bush, according to Vintage Rock Pod. Kicking off my list is a song from her debut album, The Kick Inside. It's a beautiful song, mainly just her and the piano with some strings added. She wrote this song 
when she was just 13 and recorded it under the guidance of Pink Floyd's David Gilmour when she was just 16. It was the second single she released. It got out in 1978, peaking at number six in the UK. And number five is The Man with the Child in His Eyes. He's here again. At four is a song that only Kate Bush could write. It's written from the perspective of a fetus in a mother's womb frightened by the fallout of nuclear war. Yes, it's hauntingly produced with a beautiful arrangement. It's the last track on the 1980 album Never Forever and was a top 20 hit in the UK too. And number four for me is Breathing. And number three is the second single released from Hounds of Love. It was based on a book Kate Love called A Book of Dreams about Wilhelm Reich's arrest and it was written from his son's perspective. It's a great song with an unrelenting beat and it builds to a cracking crescendo at the end of the song. And number three is Cloudbusting. Two is another song from the 1980 album Never Forever. It's uh, another curious tale brilliantly written. The story of a woman whose marriage has grown stale, attempts to test her husband's fidelity and lure him away by pretending to be someone new, someone younger. The video is utterly Kate Bush as well in an interesting dance routine. Check it out. And number two is Babushka. Number one for me is the lead single from the Brilliant Hounds of Love album in 1985. Her biggest hit in America. It's got an incessant beat to it, another great concept. I mean, the thought of doing a, a deal with God so that a man and a woman can swap bodies to better understand one another. It's just an absolute classic for me. My favourite Kate Bush song and the number one song according to Vintage Rock Pot is Running Up That Hill, A Deal With God. There you go, my favourite five songs from the brilliantly talented Kate Bush. As ever, there were a ton of songs I would like to have put in there, but I can only pick five. Obviously, Wuthering Heights was an obvious choice I could have chosen, a number one single for her. Rubber Band Girl, one I've always liked. That was from the early 90s. There's This Woman's Work, Wow, Hounds of Love, Bertie, which was written about her son, uh, Army Dreamers too, fantastic song. Definitely go and check out her back catalogue if you've never given her a chance. As ever, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this list. Where do you agree or disagree? Drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com, and I'll give you a mention on next week's episode. Now, last week, the top five on the show, which uh, featured a brilliant interview with Ellen Foley. She was the female singer on Paradise by the Dashboard Light, of course. It was dedicated to the mighty meatloaf. Thank you to everyone who is in touch with their top fives. Uh, Peter Kowalczyk had a completely different top five to me. He had uh, Read Em and Weep, Modern Girl, and Two Out of Three Ain't Bad as his top three in that order. Uh, Jan, or Jan Doldersom, uh, picked another completely different top five with For Crying Out Loud, I'd Lie For You 
and that's the truth. And everything is permitted as the top three there. And uh, Rosette Pardew Stewart had three of my list in her top five. So a bit of agreement. I tallied up all the other answers that came in. And thank you very much for everyone that uh, took part in Facebook as well. And the general consensus for when I added all the songs up together was the top five meatloaf songs being as follows. And number five was uh, Objects in the Rearview Mirror. Number four was Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth. Three, I'd Do Anything for Love. Two is Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. And the number one song, as voted by you guys, was Bat Out of Hell. Now, I did get a bit of stick for not including Bat Out of Hell in my top five. Paul Graham messaged to say, No Bat Out of Hell, you madman. Now, I mean, let's be honest, everyone's different. I mean, take Callum Carty's well-thought-out, well-reasoned, well-articulated Facebook response with Can't Stand Dead Ringer Myself. See, it's the type of input we like. Uh, I'm only kidding. Thanks for joining in, at least, Callum. So if we do have any Kate Bush fans listening, then definitely please do get in touch with your top fives or thoughts on my list, and I'll give you a mention on next week's episode, which, sneak preview here, features an interview with the lead singer of a band from the 1960s whose performance on The Ed Sullivan Show is still highly regarded to this day, and they are considered the early inspiration for the likes of metal bands and heavily influenced Led Zeppelin, who toured in support of these guys across the US. But that's for next week episode. Speaking of next episodes, please as well do not forget to check out the special Rock Hall episode that'll be released on Thursday the 10th of February with today's guest Joe Quazala on there. We're going to dig further into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and boy does he know his stuff so that's definitely one that's worth checking out. If you haven't already, please do check out Vintage Rock Pod on social media too. You can click like or comment on the post just to make sure you don't miss any. The algorithm stops showing you things from groups and things like that that you don't interact with. It's a great way to communicate with me and get your comments read out here on the podcast. And also subscribe to the channel on YouTube where you'll find various videos from the interviews I've done throughout the series as well. But until episode 52 then, remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of classic rock, just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.